This is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck, and I'm joined tonight by two special uh, guests at this round table. We're going to get into it. Uh, John Berg, former guest of the show, longtime friend of mine, uh, current vocalist of the band The Path, who you can catch. Uh, they're from Vermont. You can catch them on the West Coast coming up. I'm going to let you plug all that. Hey, John. Hello. Hello. Good to be back. Yeah, welcome back, man. We're gonna get into it. we're gonna we're gonna plug your shows. Don't worry, man. I had to promise him. I had to promise him. I had to promise him. I would I would plug 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 his shows and buy him two tattoos to get him to do this tonight. Uh, hey, I want some tattoos. <laughs> Dave Gladding. Dave Gladding. There he is, man. Yeah, Dave's gonna negotiate a whole back that. Dave Gladding, my loyal co-host uh, and sometimes bandmate. Even Dave, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Feeling good, man. Um, we're 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 crushing out these these heavy hole podcasts, and I got um, we're kind of doubling up because we're gonna be busy this summer. We're recording a lot of episodes. I thought it would be fun to get you guys here to do a special kind of roundtable discussion on an area of Long Island music, underground music, an area of Long Island hardcore even that is sometimes uh, underappreciated and unrecognized i think um you know except in the hearts of like you know long island record collectors and long island underground dudes uh, such as ourselves dave like off the bat i think you you said you weren't really familiar with some of these bands right yeah i um back in the late 90s early 2000s i was i, I put a lot of effort into avoiding uh <laughs> hardcore uh just because I, I was like a like a, a young narrow-minded death metal head and it was just like everything sucks you know all these all these musicians that are playing hardcore could be playing death metal but i hate them because they're playing hardcore you know typical teenager shit yeah yeah i i kind of had one foot in that and then one foot in huntington high school with john berg now john your relationship with this particular style of of hardcore, like first of all, what I, here's what I want to ask you. I don't know what really to call this episode or this like like what do we how do we because if you say Long Island hardcore, people think a certain thing. How would you differentiate what we're talking about? I, it's it's hard because it's regional within Long Island, and it also is a time period. Mm. So like being from Huntington going to Huntington High School, I would call it Y-Core, you know, because of the YMCA shows. Okay. I think yeah. that's where, where a lot of it, you know, stemmed from. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it Screamo. I wouldn't call it a lot of things. But, yeah. you know, if you know yeah. it, you know it. Exactly. And exactly. that Screamo word was something that I've been like wrestling with. Cause like I, I how I'm going to caption and title this episode. When you say screamo, obviously a million things come to people's mind, except this like niche early nineties scene that originally might've been called that back in the nineties. But yeah, what we're talking about is uh, I like Y because I was around for a few of those YMCA shows at a very early age when I knew nothing about extreme music and it made a big impact on me because there was, they even had one where there was like a silk screening station and people could bring whatever they like clothes from home to get silk screened by the bands and leave it and let it dry up on the, up on the wall. And there was like, um, like potlucks, you know, like, like meals going on. And like, they had a whole, a, like a flea market type of like merch situation. It was wild, man. And they, the bands played shows on the basketball courts. I remember that. So why <laughs> yeah. core I'll go with, man. I like that, man. And John, so for the record, John is, you're like a year or two older than me, which in high school was a huge deal. 
Um, and I'm like right in between Dave being like a death metal guy. I don't care about hardcore and like also being like exposed and having friends in this like hardcore scene on Long Island. So that's why I'm glad I got the two of you guys. And I, and I, I shot Dave a bunch of links to some stuff. Dave actually came back and fished up a band or two that I had, I had forgotten about. And, um, John, John and I did the same thing. So I have a list I want to go down of of bands and this is in no way for people who are in on this scene this is in no way supposed to comp like like uh be the be all end all of all these bands i'm sure there's bands we're going to leave out there's facts that we might get a little skewed or we might leave out or whatever uh heavy hole podcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at the number in the description wherever you're listening to this if you want to weigh in on this conversation and we might even have to do parts two three whoever knows of this long island hardcore history discussion um but for now just think of this as a fun uh, kind of get into it um, beginner's guide for some of the listeners who, who don't know what we're talking about, man. And getting right into it, a band that just, I I feel like this, if there was going to be a, a, like an arguable base level, like ground zero band for this, not ground zero, the venue, but ground zero for this, this subgenre we're talking about, Scapegrace uh, might be yeah. a good place to start, no? Sure. Yeah, no, I think, I think scapegrace is a really good place to start. You know, they, they came from the same time and space as, as bands like half man. And yes, and I definitely yes. think that's where, where a lot of the root of the more chaotic side of music came from. Yeah. And I linked you guys I think to a seven inch, but also to a show of theirs that got shut down at Stony Brook College back in the day. I don't know if either of you got the opportunity to watch that. Yeah, I watched it. It was it was great. It was definitely great. Um, That's a fun video, yeah. Very nineties. That's what I love, man. And you know, there's like a thing I, I see nowadays where people are going back and looking at like videos of uh like, you know, last last day of high school, 1997 or whatever, you know, shit like that. <laughs> and it's like, this is kind of has the same vibe, you know, it's, it's like you really wouldn't see uh, um, this this nowadays. I don't think, man, a show gets shut down like this and the security getting involved. It, it was cool. Uh, viewers can look that up. But there's also um, if you want to look up something official, I don't know if they're on streaming music platforms or anything. That was a pretty underground band that had a, a short run back in the day, but they had a. Uh, the Plead 7-inch uh, from 1992 on Framework. Um, I th thanks to the first 7-inch Club YouTube channel. You can look that up on there. Um, and the Scapegrace, uh, it's called Scapegrace Suck the Dead, L-I-H-C, N-Y-H-C, live show shut down at Stony Brook University. That's on GridTube, L-I-H-C, YouTube channel. If listeners want to check that out. Um, Steve Driscoll was the singer of that band. And yeah. I know in like the circle of people, like in the buckshot facelift kind of circle of people, that guy's name was like kind of well recognized as the Long Island, you know, pre power violence kind of name guy. Like, is, like you, you said, yeah, I saw, I saw you light up. Did you know Steve? Um, not, not personally, but I mean, Steve, Steve Driscoll was in a lot of the important bands. He also did that La Magna Seven Inch, which was top notch as well. Pretty sure he's in that band. Um, but yeah, Steve Driscoll was um was definitely I don't want to be like inspirational, but like he was somebody that you noticed, you know, and and coming up, you know, watching that scene because I was in high school, they were all a few years older. It was 
just very impactful. And he was somebody that's like, oh, that's that's Steve Driscoll. Yeah. I got a, a quick question before we get too deep into this, just because I'm f- fairly new to this stuff. What's the uh like as like as far as like the general like influences of like all these bands that are sort of like common that separate them from like you know different I guess subgenres of, of hardcore. Do you is there is that so, like an easy answer or is that like really I, annoying? I, uh, I I can give you two semi answers from what I think it is. So people always said that long Island hardcore is different than New York hardcore because, well, not people, something I've heard, something that I kind of understand long Island hardcore is different than New York hardcore because long Island kids have space. They have garages where they can like, you know, invest more time. They could be louder. So long Island becomes more technical in a lot of ways. Um, And then I always feel like these bands like were inspired by bands like born against like bands that were like antagonistic. I don't give a fuck super spazzy, you know, like just really you're going to remember them. Like just because they're so like insane live. Does that, uh, I don't know if that clarifies things, but like. No, that, that it does actually, because I, I always, I feel like there's always like that one or two bands that sort of like, um, they kind of like inspire like a sort of like little offshoot uh, sound. And I've, I feel like I've also heard that, that comparison with New York hardcore and Long Island hardcore. So, uh, you know, that, that does make sense. And it is, I've, I've actually never heard Born Against, so I'll have to go check them out also born against the sick i can't wait until young people find born against like mm. i feel like it's coming up now they're all like turnstiles hardcore like eventually they'll find born against and it'll be awesome yeah it, i just I, I, I just found botch so i'm I'm really behind ooh, the time botch is sick i saw botch at ground zero which uh nice john sort of mentioned earlier john snatched me up one night in high school um, and he, and, and, and he, he cunningly said, Will, do you want to go to a metal show? Cause he knew me. It was, this is high school. Will he was talking to not open-minded at all. Uh, like we said, I don't, I, I one foot out of hardcore completely. And he said, you want to go to a metal show? And, and lucky he took me to see botch. I believe they were promoting. We are the Romans on that tour. Oh, at ground zero. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were like playing material for that. They had, did yeah. you, and do you remember this? They had like a light show. The drummer was yeah. like this, the, the, the lights were triggered to the drum hits, which, and like, in a, and like an under ground hardcore show that was amazing yeah it was the first time i've ever seen anything like that and it still i still like vividly remember seeing them because um ground zero is a bar you know it's not like a venue so the fact that it was like they went like crazy and they did like the lights and it was awesome botch rules one thing that i've always heard about botch before i I heard them like years ago was that they're like that's where dillinger escape plan got their kind of like their shtick or their sound. And I do remember way back in the day seeing Dillinger at CBGB's and they had all the lights and everything. They had like a bunch of like Home Depot work lights on like a switch or something that they kept and like strobes and stuff. And it all kind of makes sense. You know, I, once I heard yeah. them, I was kind of like, oh, okay. Now I get like why all those people were saying that. And Yeah, Botch was always like a step above, a step above. I, I would definitely agree that you probably wouldn't have bands like Dillinger and like number 12 looks like you later on and what all that stuff kind of became without botch doing it first mm-hmm. and to get back dave your original question was great this idea of like where we should have started the whole episode with that 
um, what, 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 what these Long Island screechy bands that we're talking about might have considered influences. Born Against, great suggestion. CR, I think, was more along the same timeline. CR was like yeah. mid to late 90s. Uh, what about Rorschach? Was or I'd have to check a time timeline. Yeah, and I feel really like th- like nail it. But I, I feel like CR and Rorschach were more like the city version of this stuff in a way. Yeah. But yeah, I think. Well, I was just oh, gonna sorry. say Drop Dead and Infest and bands like that mm. probably have something to do with it. And then like like John touched on when you were out here in the suburbs, you might have a lot more kids like experimenting. Things get more technical, and also in the early '90s, that indie rock grunge thing was pervasive. Mm. So I feel like there's also some of that element, like that indie rock experimental element, before it turned into like commercialized grunge. That's part of it with the whole DIY art rock thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's the combination of a lot of elements that I think could only happen out here in the suburbs because it's like if if it's in New York City, you end up with CR and shit that's yep. kind of more hard. If it's in you know if it's if it's if it's in Boston, it's more hard. But if it's out here in the Long Island suburbs, you do have those kids that are gonna bring it to that like DIY art rock level, but it's still screechy like. Um, to spin it back to Steve Driscoll and Scape Grace and La Magna, and he was in a band, Village of the Branch, not not so many, a few oh, years yeah. back. Um, Buckshot Facelift got to play with them maybe eight years ago or so. Um, he brought it to that very emotionally tense, pre-screamo um, kind of melodramatic level, and I say that respectfully because it was from a very organic place, I think, in those days. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll, I'll stop now. I think you guys uh, probably had something to say. I can't remember what I was going to say. You can move on. I apologize. I don't think I don't think it was you know particularly profound or anything. No, no profound lore. No, but I'm sorry. Sorry for talking over you guys. No, no, I, I, I can, uh, I can expand on that because I, I used to see these bands and they'd like freak out. They would freak out. They'd be on the floor. They'd be screaming into their guitar pickups. And it was before all of that stuff sucked, you know, because eventually it just became a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. And it's like, okay, now the band's falling on the floor. Okay. But it was before that, or maybe I was just very young. I'm not sure, but it was, it was extremely passionate and, and organic, as you said, and just sincere, or at least it seemed very sincere. Um, and when I'd go to shows at the Y and see bands like Closure or, you know, those like really, you know, screamo bands, I guess. I don't know. It's hard, but it it was very passionate. You know, they were they were young people just like bleeding their hearts out. And then eventually it it turned into something less sincere. But well, could I offer this? Because I know what you're saying. Maybe to put it in metal terminology, what people think of as screamo. Right. When you hear the word screamo, generally speaking, unless you're like, you know, you're kind of like in, in on in our little world that we're in here right now, you that's cradle of filth. Like I'm not saying cradle, mm. but like like in metal, that's cradle of filth. What we're talking about is like the Bathory and the Hellhammer. Like, like, like that's like like all right for screamo. You know what I'm saying? Like we're talking about the pioneers who are doing something raw and didn't even call it screamo. But it's like this is the real life version of what you think is screamo, listen, listener. Not yeah. to not to talk down to you, listener. But um, it's it's like pre orchid, pre orchid, yes, combat wounded veteran. It's like that, but it was I don't know. 
Orchid. Five, ten years earlier. Orchid, another great band to throw into the equation. Yeah, that's like, if you if you think about, because I know that Rorschach and Orchid are bands that at least um, have, have maybe maybe some good bands to put into context, context here. Maybe even Dead Guy, who put their mm. own crazy spin on it. Um, uh, if you go back eight, ten years, this is what we're talking about, man. Um, and 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 I, th- I think we established that. So to kind of keep it pushing, another band that I'd really like to put in this equation now um uh well maybe you know what we're going to do throughout this episode i'm going to ask tom to spin a little bit so tom could you please drop a little bit of that scapegrace on people before we move forward And we're back. Scapegrace. Now, moving forward, the next band I want to talk about, uh, Millhouse, Long Island, New York's own, um, in my inf- infamous and legendary, in my opinion, um, uh, screechy hardcore band from the uh, mid-90s, Millhouse, another infamous frontman. Um, love him or hate him. There's only one Artie <laughs> Philly of Millhouse and, uh, and all his other bands um, that we've talked about. Uh, John, I want to, I want to, I want to let you take it away now. Thoughts on Millhouse? Sure. I, uh, I'm fairly vocally a, a huge fan of Millhouse. Millhouse, Millhouse is one of the most influential bands in my life. I remember seeing them at the old first church. Yes. I don't know, 95 ish. And, you know, Artie's grabbing people and he's got a crucifix and he's like making stabbing motions at people. And like, and, and I just had this realization, like, like nobody's going to stop this guy. Like he's just going to do whatever he wants. And, you know, that, (laughs) that, that moment really cemented in my head, like, oh, you know, if you're, if you're fronting a band, like you could, you could do whatever the fuck you want. And like, nobody's going to do anything, you know? And, and, you know, I, I, um, I was really just inspired by that and obscenity in the milk. I feel is easily one of the best records to ever come off long Island. I think it's, uh, it's just beyond amazing. It's, it's a genius record. It ties in all of the like brutality and angst of a power violence band, but it's also a really smart record, how it's produced and recorded. Um, I know a lot of songs are about Artie's ex-wife, so they're probably not not smart songs, but I think they're sick. <laughs> but yeah, Millhouse is like one of one of the greatest to ever do it, and more people should know about that band if they don't. Yeah, dude. Um, and I just, Dave, I quickly want to ask you your opinion, but quickly I want to interject just for the listeners. Obscenity in the Milk was their um their 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 one and only full length album, I believe, according to the the discography. Uh, and that's where they shifted gear and went full power violence. Um, it, in my opinion, it came out on Wreck Wreck Age. Uh, which is another label people could look into for this style in 1997. But prior to that, they put out the 
Modern Problems, Old Fashioned Solutions, Classic Mistakes EP, which there's a 7-inch form and then there's a CD with bonus tracks. We broke this all down with Andrew Orlando of Black Army Jacket a few weeks ago. Um, but just quickly, the, the, that Millhouse had more of that sometimes mid-tempo, groovy, screechy, hardcore vibe from like the the older style that we were getting into. And then on Obsetti and the Milk, they really kicked it up notch tempo-wise where I felt like they were almost our Long Island answer to power violence. Um, so so sick. Uh, but John, I can see you, you want to say something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you because they, they tie in all of the, or a lot of the elements of what, long island was doing as far as hardcore goes you know you have bands like mind over matter you have bands like neglect you have bands like silent majority on and on and on but yeah like they were also clearly like the power violence band of that scene you know the really insanely feral aggressive band like and uh and they also worship the devil and that shit's hard that shit's super hard for that scene and being the Long Island heart, and they made the patches back in the days with the upside down crosses and stuff. It just it threw a weird angle onto that band, yeah. Uh, and the way yeah. they promote, yeah, the way they promoted themselves. But um, Dave, I don't know if you were you aware or exposed to Millhouse prior to this podcast. Thoughts on them? Did you listen to anything? I was always very aware of them, you know, growing up like in the nineties because they were like one of the bigger bands, I think like the bigger local bands and stuff, but I never uh, heard them. You know, it seemed like they, I, I'd seen photos of them in like zines and in like the good times or in like Long Island voice newspapers and stuff like that. And it seemed like they were pretty intense. Like there was always, there were like everyone in the band was always in some kind of like a crazy, like pose or, uh, you know, mid motion or something, but I, I do sort of agree with your guys' description of the sound, like having now heard it um, all these years later, it does, it, it is a bit more of that kind of like, 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 sort of like an East Coast equivalent of like power violence or something, like not like, not the grindcore side of it, but like the more like fast and heavy stuff, and but yeah, uh, I always remember uh Artie Philly from the uh, the whole thing when PWAC got shut down hmm. yeah. for having for having uh, raves and for some reason he was like the, the face to that I think like some some news news uh, show <laughs> like ambushed him outside of a right. show or something and like like was I'm, like I'm still mad at Cablevision for for shutting down the PWAC still yeah. mad about it not that punk. was uh, that was a great spot I'd only been there once but it was uh. It was a really nice. It was a great spot, like huge, tons of space. Yeah, we got to get Artie Philly on. We had listeners, if they're interested, they, uh, we had Christian McKnight, um, a long-running show promoter and booker uh, from uh, Long Island, um, and he was uh, uh, one of the guys who helped promote the PWAC and book shows there. He told that story about Cablevision and the and News 12 shutting it down and all that sort of thing and the raves. Yeah, dude. Fuck, whatever fuck Cablevision forever. Yeah, not punk Cablevision. Um, uh, that that story was fake news about the PWAC. Um, 
So, yeah, that's Millhouse. And like I said, I want the listeners to give that a hard listen. They, they You can go back and check all that stuff out. I don't know that they're on Sp- – um, well, they were on Wreckage. I imagine Spotify or some of the streamers have picked that up by now. But if not yeah, – their, their LP just got repressed, so it's it should be pretty available on the internet. Beautiful. Yeah, so that's something we really want you to look into, especially the young – I noticed that power violence and grind and – like breaking, crossing, crossing into hardcore. It's it's all a big thing now with the younger generation, and that's hot right now, which is cool. This might be another cool thing to go back and check uh, check out Millhouse. So, Tom, since we've been talking it up so much, I'm going to ask Tom to bring in a little uh, obscenity in the milk for the people. Man. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. And I just realized before we get any further, another band that I think is like a forerunner of this scene should be considered like OGs of this scene, if not if nothing else. And I don't. I'm not just saying this because they were a Huntington-based band. Half Man. Yeah, yeah. Half Man. Half Man is definitely, definitely. I mean, Chris Jensen, who allegedly was a substitute teacher. At Huntington High School, never <laughs> I never had him, but I heard that that's the truth. Um, he he, I guess Ran Mountain. And it was a collective. I'm not sure how it worked, but I always knew him as the person that ran Mountain Collective. Which, to my understanding, correct me, world, if I'm wrong, but they were the people involved in booking a lot of the Y shows, which gave a platform to a lot of these bands. Um, so yeah, I mean, out of Half Man came a lot of opportunities for a lot of these bands to get their music out of there. Yeah, dude. Um, I mean, I again, this is kind of uh, this episode. Obviously, the listeners realized by now was was um, had its impetus in the Black Army Jacket interview a few weeks ago. I realized we had to go in more in depth on this topic with some people, and. We talked a little bit about uh, Mountain Records and about Half Man. Half Man was from Huntington. Their drummer Dan Dan Crowell, right? Um, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, Dan was uh, was the original drummer of Half, of of uh, Black Army Jacket. Uh, his first band was Half, or not, or the band prior to Black Army Jacket was Half Man, and um, they put out this album <clears throat> as everything fell apart on uh, Ludite Framework. That's let's, let me see what year this is. Sorry guys, I'm a little underprepared for this one, man. Um but <laughs> okay. but the uh this again, it's like I don't want to sound repetitive because when you start talking about Scape Grace and Millhouse and Half Men, they are bands that had kind of like a signature sound and style Half Men too. I think the the thing is like Half Men was more they had this kind of like art school, art rock maybe vibe. Yeah. You know, things a were more, a little more jazzy. Yeah, <laughs> a little little more atmospheric at times, lyrics and art and, and like their the way they would arrange their layouts and their lyrics. I mean, that's another thing. All these bands, the way they would put out it was like a um a photocopy machine kind of cut and paste art project every time, man. And and you really got a lot of the personality from these bands, which is cool. Um Half Man was big, like you said, with the with the YMCA shows, and that was 
so much involved with that that's like bigger than the band. It affected a lot of people in Huntington. I'm going to also, so while we're on this topic, do you, you remember Boar, right? B-O-R? Oh, of course. That, yeah. that was um talking about substitute teacher the singer of boar uh she was she was the cousin of like a girl that was in my grade in high school i think she was like i think she like uh uh chaperoned a trip once or something like that man it was <laughs> it was funny man and, and yeah. yeah i ended up with like two boar seven inches um uh from well, back in you the went to Huntington high school yeah, yeah. Huntington high school had a boar seven inch but yeah i just feel like that like half man to me is indicative of this huntington scene and they maybe are one of the bands that left more material behind and a little bit more of an impact. Cause also you have Edgar who we might get into, but yeah. like they, they didn't leave much material behind besides that seven inch. No. Uh, they did a split with Tetsuo, which was Neil yeah. from uh, sons of Abraham and Irony of Lightfoot. All right. But, yeah. So I, I think, I think Edgar might've put out some new stuff in the last couple of years. They're back. I did. I think they might be back. <laughs> they played a few shows. I haven't seen much recently, but I have been following them. I definitely creeped them out. I messaged them, yeah. messaged them, and 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 said said if you want to come on the show, you're welcome. And and they were like, whoa, maybe we shouldn't have gotten back together. This guy's weird. <laughs> but um, but yeah. Anyway, Half Man kind of indicative of this Huntington scene to me, man, and a lot of bands that maybe didn't leave as much behind. That was 1996 when the As Everything Fell Apart LP came out. I think that was like the maybe the final release or one of the, the big releases of the band. People can go back and look that up and you could probably find some other releases on YouTube or something like that. I don't know that Half Man has had a, a proper reissue, have they? Or has been... Um, uh, no, I I don't believe that they have. And they have a lot of releases. Yeah. They have more releases than most people realize. Um, so I don't know, maybe I'll I'll talk to Dave about that. One of those things where you kind of, kind of scour Discogs and... Um... Uh, you know, look up YouTube for for some of this stuff if you're really that interested. But Dave, um, uh, so, sorry to 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 steal this the show so much, man. Dave, did you happen to check out Half Man? I did, and I uh, I liked it. Um, I don't remember. I can't get too detailed on it, but I do. I remember liking it. You know, I liked the the, the vocals were good. I feel like at times they weren't. Really, it was like kind of that same monotonous scream the whole release i was listening to and like if it got to like a quiet part it sounded a little weird but in overall like you know they were heavy they had blast beats they were good <laughs> nothing wrong with heavy and blast beats yeah <laughs> yeah well that's the thing they had a little bit of that power violence but also a little bit of that like pre-atmospheric scream well i want to say that like nowadays there's kind of like this shoegazy, doomy, hardcore, like people, I've heard it, I've heard it called like dad, dadcore and beardcore, you know, wow. like, like doom and doom, like, like hardcore slowed down into doom metal and it's more sad. I feel like <laughs> that is like the modern interpretation of this stuff, you know, like it's like the kind of heavy, but sad and, and artistic and deep type of thing. I don't know, man. Yeah. I mean, well, it was all sad because they're all teenage teenagers and predominantly dudes from the suburbs so like that's <laughs> yeah. why it's sad yeah you know? yeah like yeah. it's but yeah it's it's more artistic than a lot of people think when they think of hardcore as a genre and more experimental um but yeah it's 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 different than than a lot of other sub genres of sub genres of hardcore 
Yeah, I definitely think that this is one where maybe like aesthetically or in, in terms of the personality of the band, you can see a lot of that 90s indie rock influence that early 90s kind of alter like before we again before alternative was like a shitty word you know what i mean when it, yeah. back when it just meant like you know rock from younger people that that didn't really you know play by the rules or whatever um rock by art students uh so tom bring us in with a little bit of half man as everything fell apart for the good people Yes, half man. Um, as we move forward now, uh, shout to Ryan Lipinski. Um, we were going to have him on for this episode. I had a recording snafu. I already roasted myself for that last episode. Um, but we're going to have him on again for another time to talk about some of these Long Island hardcore bands. We're probably going to do another part. But I want to talk about Ryan Lipinski uh, of my band Reeking Aura, formerly of Unearthly Trance. His One of his first bands anyway um, that people know him for here on Long Island, Motive. Uh, very interesting band. I don't know that they really were. They, I don't think that they were part of this scene with these other bands as as much. Like they kind of they motive struck me as being more of like the, the the mainline Long Island hardcore scene. Well, they they were part of the wreckage exit bands, which you know overlap. Like Millhouse was on those labels, but also like Yepicide and yeah, you know, a lot of other a lot of other bands. Um, that were that were similar to that, but also yeah, slightly slightly different scene. But yes, yeah, maybe one foot in, one foot out, like a, a Venn diagram overlapping kind of thing. Motive a lot more going on musically than some of these bands. I think Motive was you know maybe thanks to Ryan and some of the other guys a little more advanced harmonically and musically, songwriting, guitars. Uh, a little more metal informed than some of these other bands we're talking about in the conversation now. Motive had so much depth in the songwriting. I mean, um, that that farewell to the actor seven inch and the Iverse the Beckoning of Darkness album that they put out is like uh, that the the music alone like kind of tears at your soul. You know, it's it, it's <laughs> yeah. it's and it also it's raw too. I'll let you take over, John. Yeah, Motive was an interesting band because. On their demo, which when I was, I don't know, 16-ish, you know, their demo was big to me. They had a different singer, and they were much more straightforward, like, as far as, like, a Long Island hardcore band goes. And then whatever happened, I don't know. I was a kid and not in their band, but they ended up switching up their lineup, and that's when they became, you know, screamier, far more technical, and, like, they really dove into that direction hard, um, you know, and matched up with bands like Millhouse or um, they were on Irony of Lightfoot was a band too, or Sons of Abraham. Like there was a, a whole group of, you know, chaotic hardcore bands from that time. And yeah, they were doing it fantastic. And yeah, I remember uh, Pete, their drummer was always, always around at every show and Pete really, Motive. really nice guy. Yeah. Pete Motive. <laughs> um, but yeah, Motive was definitely a great band. 
amazing band, man. One of my personal favorites. Pete Motive, his style, in my opinion, the essential Suffolk County, Long Island hardcore drummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that popping groove, man, you know? Yeah, my, my drummer just... Uh started adding a lot of double bass in the songs and every time he does it, he's like you like double bass i'm like oh yeah i like double bass yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah i like double bass <laughs> yeah. and it's all because of, you know like all of that old long island stuff that was you know heavy on that yeah motive just so like i said i'm just gonna say they fit in with this style of music we're talking about but musically advanced and maybe maybe the most accessible band for metalheads in this episode that we're going to talk about yeah, I mean their their production. I mean, compared to a band like Half Man or La Magna or Scapegrace, I mean their production was way more tuned in. You know, they yeah. it, they whoever they were working with had a much better understanding of the end result. You yeah. Know? So so there's definitely a difference there. Yeah, man. And for people who you know the again, you know, we want this conversation of like. Um... Uh, bands like Converge, Dillinger Escape Plan, then further on you got bands like Number 12. Like In that lineage of music and botch, I feel like Motive is in there somewhere too, man, and, and play, plays mm-hmm. a big part with that because the way they the way they blended that kind of metal-influenced melodrama of the guitar and the screeching vocals. Dave, uh, thoughts? Motive. Uh, I don't really have any thoughts on Motive. Uh, I didn't. I was trying to, to Google them to get to listen to some music, and I don't know if the name is just. It's hard to Google. I didn't know what any album titles were. Ah, but um, shit. I I do have an anecdote. Um, so I do. I, I went to see uh, Unearthly Trance play their first show, and there was like five people there. But like because it was ex members of Motive, there was of course hardcore dancers, huh. and one dude. Like this is like a like a, a doom show, but of course like this one dude was doing spin kicks and just like completely like clocked this other guy and he like exited the show like with blood running down his face. Was it Sal? Saw, was it Sal from Buckshot Facelift doing the spin uh, kick? <laughs> you know, it, it, it probably was. Uh, yeah, but I I, it re- I don't think I knew who Sal was back then, so I didn't really know. Oh, uh, you know, know who the person was. If you can spin kick twenty percent of the show's audience out of the room, that's that's pretty hard. That's pretty yeah. hard. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh it was memorable. That's the last time I saw an earthly trance, uh Sal did that. Like opening like first riff, he like clapped his hand and started doing back like donkey kicks on the crowd and shit. <laughs> unearthly trance. Like it's still Long Island nineteen ninety five in a lot of people's heart and mind. Um but yeah, Motive, man. Ivers, The Beckoning of the Darkness is the album. Farewell to the Actor, in my personal opinion, as a music fan, is is like the ultimate Motive release. Maybe one of the like Hall of Fame Long Island hardcore releases, you know. Um, uh, the, the Farewell to the Actor 7-inch, that's the one, allegedly, where they, after they kicked the old singer out, um, they mm-hmm. farewell to the actor was about that guy or something like that, and that's where they switched it all up. Um, oh, that that's tough. That's a, a tough move. That's the seven inch with the gray cover, right? That's the seven inch with like the watercolor, yeah, kind of kind of abstract looking cover. Yeah, it would really highly recommended. People could look that up. Um, I I don't know if it's on streamers, but uh, most of this stuff is on YouTube. Dave, I'm sorry, I would have shot you a link, bro. Uh, I'm gonna shoot you a link no. now. But, There's um, a lot to listen to. I had a lot of listening. Yeah, for this uh, for this show. There's a lot of good stuff. We're not we're not done yet, and and I will bring you back for the next time we we go to Long Island. Um, 
Uh, so, 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 Tom, I'm going to ask Tom to bring it in with a little bit of that motive. I versus the beckoning of the darkness, so people know what we're talking about. Here, right? stuff now i'm gonna switch gears a little bit this next band still heavy um not but we're gonna go back again you know you want to talk about um who may have been like an influence to these bands we're talking about tonight i want to get into the 1.6 band who was around from uh 1991 to 1993 according to this discography cd that i got from state of mind recordings shout to dave um, it says they played their first show in someone's backyard in July 91. They played their last show in Washington, D.C. at the Beta Punks Warehouse in October 93. They never owned a van. They never toured. Uh, the one point, yeah. 1.6 band. Yeah, this shit is fucking... And, dude, I, I, I just want to say, too, 1993, these these early 2000s metalcore bands that got really ironic and, and kind of, like, shocking with their song titles and funny... I want this 1.6 band pushing shit back into my ass is a song title. Um, uh, uh, let's see, they got they got a few good ones here, man. Um, they do a dag nasty cover, which is kind of funny, man. Uh, uh, they got uh, back in church, bullet to the brain. I don't know, man. They this was a band that had a sense of humor, but it was just kind of weird and wild. Um, maybe a little bit more from the old school with a little bit more of that punk sensibility, but like technical. For the for this like like this is this is something for people that like kind of like weird, un, unexpected technical strangely timed music. Um, it's it's hardcore and punk and maybe a little bit from that indie rock scene, but this is its own entity completely. Man, I'll let, I'll let you guys take over. John, any thoughts? Yeah, uh, one point six band. They're the artsy part of those other bands that were screaming and falling. Yeah, I mean, one point six band. I never. Got- Got to see them. I unfortunately, I'm I'm not quite that old, but um, you know, when I listen to one point six band, you know, I hear that in all of those other bands. That weird, you know, just off time, chaotic, but in an an artsy kind of way, um, and in a very sincere, um, you know, uh, just unapologetic i guess that's the word they are who they are and you know i hear that influence radiating through all of the other bands the bands like half man the bands like millhouse because i would imagine that's who they were watching and that's who or one of the bands that gave them the okay to be total freaky weirdos and do what they want to do um and open up those possibilities because that's what it always sounded like to me when i listen to 1.6 band um yeah that, that's my thought on them it's also it always blows my mind that um kevin egan was also in beyond which i think is a funny you know because they're a lot more straightforward than 1.6 band never realized that i didn't make the connection okay yeah um, um yeah 1.6 band i definitely think their their influence shines through long island hardcore all over the place yeah really really interesting band um 
and I, I like just for the time period. It's like you, yeah, you're right. I, I like what you don't know what might have would have would have shown through. This was an earlier band compared to all these other bands. Um, Dave, thoughts? Uh, I don't. I, I'm not familiar with this band really. You know, I, I listened to them, and the only notes I have, I wrote. This is what I imagine when I think of emo, hmm. <laughs> and I I can't expand on that at all. Huh. I don't actually really know what emo is. <laughs> um. It would be cool if this was what emo is. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I'm sure I'm wrong with that description, but well, well, it's it, it's hard to nail down because it's you know, is it art punk? Is that a thing? You know, I mean, but it's also kind of hardcore, but it's also not hardcore. You know, so it's it's really hard to to nail down what it is. But then again, Dave might be onto something because may this is ninety two, ninety three. Without this. And they're doing a dag nasty cover on this. That's where their head was at. Without this, do you get the late '90s with Sunny Day Real Estate and Promise Ring and Jade Tree Records and that stuff? Does this play some sort of hand in that stew? You know what I mean? Like, like what what would become emo? I'm just because it was like people were taking hardcore punk and not softening it, but maybe making it a little bit more accessible, a little bit more. Um, uh, have a little more emotion, a little bit more emotional depth, also sense of humor. Like there was, they were all over the place with the one point six band. So who's to say what they may or may not have influenced? No, so it's it's true, and you know, as you point out, even with their song titles, like even though they weren't the craziest of crazy bands, like they were still an edgy band. You know, like there was still something to behold and and something to pay attention to, something that demanded attention. They sound like they were trying to be different from everybody else and just do something off the wall, but they ended up with like a perfect storm where they still sounded tight and cohesive and it was a good idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like you could really you could really go, you know, left to center and, and, and you know, off the wall with that, but they, they they kept it together somehow and just did their own cool shit, you know? Yeah. Um Tom, I'm gonna ask you to bring in the one point six band, buddy. Um, yeah, 1.6 band. And we're going to get a little weirder from here, dude. Um, let's talk about the Judas Iscariot now. Um, because Dave, I, Dave, the last, the last two, um, I, I feel like I didn't really throw you, throw you bones. Uh, you brought this one to the table. I remembered this band's name from back in the day. I never really was too exposed to them. And you sent me a link. Um, really interesting band. Definitely something for the uh the power violence people to look back and, and do a history lesson. I got some some tidbits and some facts about that we can get into. But um Dave, thoughts since you brought this one. So I was first uh exposed to the Judas Iscariot uh at a at a show. I was actually uh me and uh Trevor went out to weigh the hell out in Suffolk County to see Black Army Jacket. And I guess these guys either opened or were on the same bill, but it's, they're a three piece. It's a singer, a bass player and a drummer. And it's really like 
kind of short energetic bursts of music like not quite or probably more like all in the power violence thing i feel like there was a, a saxophone in play also at some point but i yeah. didn't hear that on any on any of the recordings but um yeah they, they just they really like left an impression and uh <clears throat> i didn't know anything about them i've actually found out more when i was like doing research for the show it's it's apparently two of the guys from uh two-man advantage the bass player and drummer so but yeah uh you know they, they didn't i don't really think they made it off long island much at all and uh they had a full length that i guess didn't get released and now just recently got released as like a sort of as part of like a a, a collection i think of like their discography but this is interesting stuff you know definitely unique for for uh long island i would say unique for anywhere um yeah i i didn't i didn't <laughs> yeah. make the two-man advantage connection which is fun because two-man advantage for the listeners if you do like more straightforward old school hardcore punk and hockey you should look into two-man advantage um but they probably they don't really play well in this conversation of these bands so that's an interesting conversation judas is it um the lost prophets is the name of the album that was recently released uh, it was actually released in 2011, still recent in terms of this conversation. Originally recorded 90, around 95, 96. Um, Slapaham Records and uh, Andrew Orlando's own Reservoir Records both wanted to release this, but the band had broken up and shelved the material at that point. So the Slapaham actually wanted to put this out in, in like 97. Um, people can go check this out. It's on Bandcamp. And the band members themselves have written lengthy um, descriptions of the time period and what was going on with the band and reasons why things might not have worked out. I know the the one guy who was uh, responsible for the lyrics and probably the vocals was like a philosophy major at Hofstra University. He said there's a lot of lot at play with this band, not just your average Long Island quote unquote hardcore band. Um, if you if you you can find most of their stuff on Bandcamp and there's like when they if you if you go chronologically from the start. You could say, wow, this is an interesting kind of noisy grindcore power violence band. And then, you, you you know, as the band keeps going, you're like, wow, what are these guys doing acid? Like this is they, they end up with some really experimental, interesting what you might have lumped in with the power violence scene at that point. Um, and it's I don't want to talk it to death. John. Uh, no, I think yeah. I think you really, really nailed it with. Like you're starting like, okay, like I get this. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, like, are they doing a bunch of acid? I think that really, really nails it. I mean, the Judas Iscariot, besides having one of the best names, their name is great. Um, they also did a split LP with C and Red, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal, like fast core band from, uh, from the Netherlands. Members of Larm are in C and Red. So like that was actually, um, one of the reasons that the Judas Iscariot always stuck out to me. And, you know, I've got a bunch of their records, but that was the one where I'm like, Ooh, see in red. Uh, that's always been a big deal. I think it's cool, but yeah, they were like, they were definitely a band that fit in, but yeah, in, in a weird way. And I'm pretty sure that there are horns on some of their songs. You know, I also remember horns, although I can't place them and maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, they were, they were very experimental, um, you know, kind of, kind of like siege, but like siege is like experimental through a blender. So, yeah. I, and yeah, I, it's, it's that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Oh, I was gonna say it's it's the same sort of like it's like kind of proto grind slash experimental. Both bands have horns in them at parts, but it's not quite. It's not. It doesn't land on any one thing. It's like very in the middle and borrows from a lot of different stuff. And it's hard to dance to. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's definitely something for um. Uh, it's definitely something for people that want something a little different. I, I don't want to compare it, contrast it to bands, but like, you know, like th- there was a band, um, Gasp, uh, who's 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 kind of having a resurgence and having their stuff reissued and doing stuff again. Um, I did, not that they sound anything like Gasp, but Gasp put out a record on Slapaham and is kind of lumped in with that power violence scene, even though they're just a weird fucking band that does their own shit. Uh, uh, that's kind of how I would like say this. Like, like for some reason it's power violence, but it doesn't sound like anything, you know, just, just peep it, man. Um, we'll let the listener be the judge. Uh, any final thoughts, guys? All right. Yeah. The Judas. And if you want, and if you want something to clear the palate, that's more straightforward after this, put on two man advantage. I love definitely bump some two man advantage. That's, (laughs) that's one of the funniest, like this band to that band jumps. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, and Jeff's also doing too many voices. I think he's still doing that. Too, okay, which okay. doesn't sound like Two Man or Judas Iscariot. So, okay, so Tom, bring him in with a little bit of that Judas. The Judas Iscariot. We'll we'll play the Lost Prophets, the album that they put out on Bandcamp that never came out in the '90s. That Slap of Him Records and Reservoir Records wanted. That's cool. Can Strange stuff. Uh, thank you, Tom. Um, so, guys, uh, let's see. We got the Jews. Uh, next one I want to talk about, Irony of Lightfoot, um, whose self-titled EP 7-inch on Wreckage Records in 96 is kind of the reference material I'm, I'm going on here. Um, John, you want to start it off? You remember them? Yeah, I know. Irony of Lightfoot was great. They did two 7-inches that were put out as a CD as well. Um Neil, who was later in a band called Sons of Abraham, that a lot of people know Sons of Abraham. Um, he's also in that band Tetsuo that did that split with uh Edgar, mm-hmm. who we were discussing earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in that band, and I'm not sure who else, maybe probably members of the Glass Shaw, who knows. But um, those two seven inches are really, really good. They're super interesting, they're absolutely under the umbrella of hardcore, but yeah, also just like really interesting production choices, um, kind of similar to Motive, but like different than Motive. But like in that same um, Long Island, understanding the total vision and really connecting when you're when you're recording. And yeah, I mean, life it was very, very good. Slickly uh, produced for this stuff. There's a there's it's. Great studio work, I would say. You yes. know what I mean? Like, there's there's albums and EPs that just sound like a live band in the studio, which can be great. And then there's stuff where it sounds like you know there was a, there was there's a pro- production, and this is a, this is really a good recording for this band. You get a good idea of the the art and the creativity at play. 
Um, like you said, like maybe in that similar vein of motive, but but different in its own way. There's like emotional tension. It's hard. Uh, it's Long Island hardcore, but it's also screechy. Um, really cool stuff. And there's so little material between the two seven inches. I don't want to talk it to death, but I felt like it was definitely worthy in this conversation. And I know that that name irony of Lightfoot is it does ring bells in the Long Island hardcore scene in certain circles. Uh, Dave, uh, were you familiar with these guys? Did you get a chance to peep them? Uh, I was familiar in that I knew the name. I never did uh, get to check them out, but I did. I have another anecdote. Um, I saw uh, Sons of Abraham play live. They opened for Marauder at the PWAC wow. in like 96 or 97. And uh, I don't remember much about the show, but uh, Evan Seinfeld from Biohazard was there and he had a pit bull with him. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most 90s shit I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, I, like I it. love it. So, yeah, that, that's that's all I got. I always, uh, you know, it was one of those bands that I always like saw the name around, but just never got around to checking out. Like, you know, like, dude, you know, the, did, did he have the dog in the show, like, while the bands were playing? Or was he just like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah, it was in the show. He, like, <laughs> it was it was not a, a very heavily attended show. And I he must have, like, been friendly with like, the Marauder guys or something because it's just a bunch of, like, you know, Brooklyn goons. But it was it was funny as hell just seeing, like, this dude fucking, you know, chilling around with a fucking pit bull. I wonder if he was already getting Oz money at the time or, or was that a year or two later? Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. That was a big deal when he was on Oz. Yeah, bro. You get you get that full frontal. He probably got a <laughs> nice bonus for that. I'm actually rewatching that that whole series now, and uh, it's it's very dated, but it's still mm. entertaining. It was it, like, dude, it was it was so sick back when it was like the only kind of gritty HBO show, you know, in the '90s. But like, yeah. it, it it's hard to watch now. Hard to watch now. It it feels like a full hour when you're watching those episodes. They're they're tough. Um, I don't want to stray too much into Oz, but Luis Guzman lives in Vermont, and that's pretty uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dude, all I'll say is, you know what really wore on me when I tried to watch it, like, a few years ago and rewatch it? When they do those, like, musical montages and theatric montages, like, they... You know, after you've seen, like, The Sopranos and The Wire and, like, what kind of came later in terms of the gritty reality yeah. shows, it, it it seems so dated. But you got to give Oz props for being, like, a pioneering show. Ernie Hudson, rest in peace to yeah. that man. It, it was groundbreaking, but, yes, it's been yeah. done better. Yeah. All right. So, so enough Oz. We'll, we'll, that, that's, we'll, we'll, we'll save it. All right. All right, guys, we're back. We just talked for, about Oz for two and a half hours. You're going to have to go on Patreon for that one. No, that's a joke. Don't, don't sign up for Patreon expecting two hours of Oz talk yet. We'll get Sal on for that one. It'll get real. Oh, God. Uh, how did we get here? <laughs> Irony of Lightfoot, um, who did go on, who a member of did go on to form Sons of Abraham, who did open up for Marauder, uh, who did have Evan Seinfeld in the parking lot of the PWAC with a pit bull. That's how we got here. Irony <laughs> yeah. of Lightfoot. Irony of Lightfoot on Wreckage Records, um, self-titled 7-inch uh, from 1996, man. Tom, get me out of here, buddy. <laughs> That was a great band. 
um, to end up on. I feel like re- real quick that was I, that was going to be the last one for now because we may do another one in the future. Um, but real quick, we brought up that Edgar Tetsuo seven inch. Yeah. And because uh, it's got a special place in my heart, because Edgar was a Huntington High School band. Um, I I believe so. I believe so. At least two of those guys, because they they also they later on formed the band Watercolors. Do you remember that at all? I do not. Okay, I, I those guys. I guess they, maybe they were like on a. There was a guy with there was a guy with glasses. He kind of had like the '90s Weezer look, the button down and the mm-hmm. glasses look. And then there was a guy. There was a white dude with dreads in our high school, and he was in he was in Edgar, I believe. Am I am I bugging? You could be right. I okay. can't. I can't. All right. I can't confirm without researching. But no, I remember Edgar and Bohr, and there's a band called LMNOP, and like ah. all three of them were huge. Yeah. When we were in Huntington High School. So, and Bohr, B O R for the listeners. If you if you feel like doing a dig, because I I couldn't find that. I would have brought Bohr up more on the episode if I could find evidence for the listeners to look up online. But this Edgar Tetsuo split seven inch, um, you can find online. Um, it's actually Sweet Baby Jesus. That's Sweet Baby J A Y S U S YouTube channel. Um, uh, has this Edgar Tetsuo 7-inch for your listening pleasure, man. Shout out to that YouTube channel for putting that on. Came out in 95 on the Mountain Collective label. We talked about Mountain Collective when we were talking about Half-Man before. Um, and the and the guys in Edgar, whether or not anyone had dreads or looked like Weezer, this is like, this is like, <laughs> dude, we're going back to like when I was 14. I don't know. Um, this These guys did go to Huntington High School, some of them who were in Edgar. And as you said, Tetsuo was Neil Rubenstein? Yeah, yeah. Okay, from and I believe he was in Tetsuo. From Irony of Lightfoot that we just talked about. So, yeah. I, so this is important and to bring up. He was in Sons of Abraham. Yeah. So this seven inch is really cool to bring up. Um, I haven't even looked on Discogs or anything yet. I will. I will before this this episode goes up. Sorry, listeners. Um, but this is like probably the 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 best thing we could end off on on this episode. It's just like there's not much evidence from either band. Uh, 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 left, you know, for for the world to check out. It's just kind of part of this like cool Huntington and and Greater Long Island DIY screechy hardcore scene. I wouldn't say that he like. I'm not trying to to try like no no disrespect, but like these are high school bands. It's it's neither of these is like the most accomplished musically impressive work but the energy is there hardcore is traditionally like a very youthful um youth youth energy based music uh uh and it's um especially in the 90s this this idea of people kind of doing something new and playing with the archetype of hardcore and making something different out here uh, aside from what people thought of as new york hardcore much respect to madball and all those bands uh, this this for my generation, uh, these were kids that were a few years older than me, kind of taking hardcore here in Huntington, Long Island, in the suburbs, and and making it into their own thing. So I just wanted to bring that up quickly because I have that own story of uh, these guys. I think they played the Old First Church at one or two of the very first shows that I went to. I remember going with Justin Reganzi, shout out to him, um, and and uh, uh, a few other people from back. I won't get into it, man, but we went to the Old First Church when we were like seventh grade and saw Edgar play. So I'll just recommend that for the listeners um john any any thoughts on that at all um yeah i i can't stress how lucky we were to go to huntington high school in the mid 90s and it was brimming with people who listened to punk and hardcore and metal and all sorts of weird stuff so it was a really good place to 
to find that you know find what you're looking for whatever that niche was and and being so close to the old first church and and seeing like the mountain collective and what they did which i can't stress if this is inspiring anybody you know dig through the mountain collective discography and you will find a lot of really just weird hardcore um and it's 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 great and as you said like these were bands that these folks were in when they were in high school or you know just out of high school so definitely keep that in mind but you know it was uh it was very liberating for me and it's definitely informed my decisions as far as what i put into my bands um because yeah like if you have a microphone like nobody's gonna say shit you know Mm -hmm. like you could do what you want um and you could express yourself however you need to however extreme that is and like it's fine people will be into it if they're into it and if they're not they can leave that's fine Hell yeah, man, and and I I I definitely think you lived by that. Um, anytime I saw you perform with your bands, John, um, Dave, this Edgar Tetsuo seven inch, did you get a chance? Uh, yeah, I, I hate to be that guy. I, I did listen to it. I didn't really like it. Mm. It just didn't really do anything for me. Fair enough, and that's 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 cool too. Because like I was saying, man, I am recommending this one off of a hundred percent nostalgia. This is one of those bands that I saw when I was like 14 years old. Never actually listened to them for years later until I found this on YouTube. I didn't even know there was like traces of this around. So it's like a magical YouTube uh, nostalgic wormhole for me. I definitely think it's important to the conversation. But for someone who's who doesn't have that attachment to it and who was just objectively listening to it as like music, I get it, dude. Um, but I still felt like it was important for, for this episode as research and as, as reference. Um, and we're going to, we're going to close out the Long Island hardcore discussion for today on this one. Again, disclaimer, this is in no way, uh, on the entirety of this style or of Long Island hardcore. This is just a niche that we wanted to kind of give you a little, um, rough guide to, you know, beginner's, beginner's guide to, so to speak. Uh, and I'll, I'll let Tom play a little bit of Edgar from there, but not too much, Dave. Don't worry. Okay. One of the first heavy bands I ever saw live, man, at the old First Church there in Huntington. Now, guys, um, John, do you have handy uh, when the path is going to be performing and and your tour dates and stuff? Yeah, we um, we're actually going out to California. I don't know when this is coming out, but we are flying out next week. We're doing four dates. Um, we're playing Gilman, which is definitely a. Uh, a nice check off my bucket list. Hell yeah. We're playing in Pomona, Sacramento, and um, Rio Grande. So that's kicking off on the 26th. Um, so that's that's the big, big thing right now. And then, you know, past that, we've got a few shows locally. We're planning a Canadian run in the fall. You know, just keeping busy. 
All right, man. Cool, man. People can look up the path from Vermont. Um, you guys got a band camp and you're on streamers, I would imagine, right? Oh, social yeah. media. If you use the internet, you can find us. <laughs> um, yeah, we're we're a Vermont hardcore band, and that's it's pretty sick. Hell yeah, no doubt. And of course, people can go back and check out my whole episode I did with John a while back. We talked we we for more of this um uh uh this type of discussion uh about long island hardcore and so on and so forth all that stuff man uh and and dave um my loyal co-host we're gonna have you back and i'm gonna get you into some more of this old stuff i'm gonna force you to listen to more of it and maybe not like it but for now um (laughs) it's coming i'm gonna ask you guys you're not off the hook yet uh just like i do with my guests dave give me a little something old and a little something new to listen to any genre album demo ep anything all right uh for for an old one i got uh napalm death utopia banished i was um just going down a bit of a rabbit hole this week just like sifting through like the like napalm death discography just kind of listening to a lot of it that you know because i don't they're not they're one of those bands that i got to be in the mood to to listen to but uh utopia banished was uh i got it it was like the i think it was actually now that i think about it i think it was like the first like air quotes death metal release i ever got i got it like my freshman year in high school and I listened to it a bunch. It just never really clicked with me. So I like gave it away to a friend and I was like, listening to it again, like after fucking 20 something years, it's a really good album. It's really like, it's like, it's, st- I, I still think that they're like grime, but they definitely have a lot more of the death metal sound. And it's very much more like tight and like, I don't want to say technical, but like they, it's like very dialed in, you know, like they got there. There's a lot of riff changes and it's, it's like a very nice kind of, I don't want to say clean production, but it's like a good production. Like you can, you can hear all the instruments, you know, there's good separation. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's just a good classic album that I think doesn't get, it's, it's not one of those ones that like people throw out, like when, when you mention the name Napalm Death, like everyone kind of sticks with the first like three or four releases. Yeah, I uh, I, yeah. I I love uh, Utopia Banished. Hundred percent. I'm sorry. Do you have something else to, to say? No, no, that was it. Okay, man. Sorry. Um, yeah, Utopia Banished. I happened to inherit. I, I back in the day, me and Adam used to trade CDs back and forth a lot. I don't for, I forget if maybe I borrowed it from him and I and I dubbed it, but I had the CD of that for a while, and I do have a tape dub of it still. That's the one with the bit where they took the picture in front of the big rock. Change your life. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely listened to that in high school a lot, and it's a great album. It's a great example of early Barney Greenway era. Um, it's in, in my eyes, it's like it's kind of like textbook Napalm Death. You know what I mean? Like it's it's scum is scum is cool for historical reasons and everything. You know, I, the production for me, you know, like I, I I can't do some of that older stuff, man. For me, Utopia Banished really hits, and um. I, there's not much more I can really add to that there, man. It's a great album. Some elements of death metal. It's kind of like uh, uh, just just classic Napalm Death if you want to get into the old stuff. And like you say, it's not an album that maybe people bring up as much. People have like certain... Napalm Death has been around so much. There's been so many eras. There's definitely albums I haven't heard by Napalm Death in the last 20 years. I know Cody from Afterbirth actually keeps up on them a lot. Um, but I, I, you know, honestly have to go back and do my research, but Utopia Banished in that area, that era is probably my favorite so far. And I'm a little bit nostalgic for that album. John, are you familiar at all? Yeah, I, I, uh, 
I love Napalm Death. I I always think that that scum is good for T-shirts. I think people that that like Napalm Death T-shirts are always like, "That's my favorite record." Yeah, and it's fine. Like it's good, but like Napalm Death has such an expansive catalog. Like you know, it's worth just like going through it in its entirety um, because it's it's so good throughout. I had a really awesome privilege of seeing Napalm Death in a really small club in Burlington, uh, which was like amazing. Because I was, you know, like two feet away from them when they were playing, which is like an experience that most people get. Um, but no, Napalm Death rules. Like they don't. I don't think they have bad records. So. Yeah, and I got I gotta say I like what you said, man. That's what Scum is is the favorite album of people who like Napalm Death T shirts. <laughs> dude, I, you know it's 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 good to put on and listen to every once in a while. But all I'm gonna say is this: Reek of Putrefaction by Carcass is my go to bad production old school grind album. All right, um, Scum for me is just a little little too hard on the ears. I will put it on though. I do own it. Um. Moving forward, though, uh, you got something new that you, that you want to throw out, Dave, or 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 pass? Yeah. Okay. I do. I want to just shut the door because my kids are being fucking annoying. Hang on a sec. <laughs> John, what's your what's your old one? While Dave does that, sure, sure. So I figured, yeah, whenever whenever you ask this question, I like get paralyzed because I like consume so much music. Like, what do I say? How do I narrow it down to one yeah. new and one old? Um, but staying on top a record that came out on mountain collective that we didn't talk about because it the band didn't really make a big splash but um there's a band called closure who has a self-titled lp on mountain collective and when i think of the word screamo like this is what i think of where it's it's very chaotic it's melodic it's screamy it's it's just kind of got it all and i think that that record really is a good example of that early emo screamo type of um type of scene before it became the whatever it became mm. yeah dave um so the band is closure what was the name of the album it's a self-titled record so- and it's on youtube you could find it on youtube um i think I, I i did listen to them i think so like when you guys uh suggested them and uh yeah i remember uh, thinking it was pretty good yeah it, it, just like john said that's a perfect one um like i said you know like i just wanted a well-rounded discussion on these bands tonight this is in no way like the the complete list uh closure is another great band wreckage records right there with it um another great band to throw into all this and maybe maybe closure is a little bit more towards where you start seeing why this stuff gets lumped in with screamo and like closure is maybe more of a bridge towards like orchid and towards where things yeah. are going, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Absolutely, I think that there's ab- there's there's a very short bridge between bands like Closure and bands like Orchid, and I mean it was screamo because it was extremely passionate, emotional music, but they were screaming and they were falling on the floor, yeah, and they were chewing on their guitar strings, and you know that's why it was screamo because it was literally just like screaming emo bands. Um, but yeah, I think that that record, it's its just a, a Long Island hidden gem that I don't think people talk about. I think it's a really solid record, and it fits into this conversation overall. Yeah, Screamo was once just an organic term 
uh, before it got adapted as like industry slang for hot topic and my chemical romance. You know what I mean? Like it's, you got, you know, people got to remember. So um, great. Uh, Closure self-titled on Wreckage Records. Uh, And then bouncing back to Dave, your new recommendation. So for my new one, I have uh, the new Gaffed album, Die Already, huh. on, a C- on CDN Records. And uh, Gaffed is a band that I've, I'm pretty sure I brought up in the past. They're uh, uh, from South Jersey area. I think they were a contemporary of Mortal Decay back in the 90s, and they broke up, but they just got back together again like mm. within the last couple of years. Okay. And it's like most of the same guys from the original lineup with like a new drummer, I think, but, uh, you know, I, I, I've been listening to this new album on Spotify and it's really fucking good. It's not, it doesn't sound dated. It's just like, it's a kind of good death metal. Like I, it's, I don't know how to describe it really. It's not like, it's not really genre specific. It's not, they, they don't sound like super modern, but it doesn't sound dated. It's just like, you know, they kind of picked up where they left off. Gaffed. Like underground death metal. Gaffed, yeah, G-A-F-F-E-D. Gaffed from New Jersey. I like the name. I like that there's a band that was a contemporary of Mortal Decay named Gaffed. Just all makes sense. It all it all, it all floats, man. Uh, John, anything to add? I don't know if you you were familiar at all. I am not familiar, but I definitely just put that into my uh, my internet, and I'll be checking that out after we stop. Your, chatting your data bank um bring that on the tour bus uh they might leave it at the gas station who knows um john is something new to recommend yeah i guess um i'll recommend the last record i got in the mail i haven't listened to it it just came last night um the new gel record only constant it's on convulse records okay um it's it's really cool there's a a new new it's been going on for a little while but there, there's been a, a lot of steam behind uh, hardcore for the freaks, which is like a, a term that gel has been riding for a while where it's just like, like weird, weirdo hardcore for weirdo people. It's not, you know, macho bring your pit bull to the Marauder show hardcore. It's just like, come down, be, be weird, be fun. And it's, it's hard. It's sick. Tons of riffs. Um, their vocalist is is awesome. Their shows are completely insane. Um, so yeah, gel only constant on Convulse Records would be my recommendation since it came in the mail last night. I've actually been seeing that name around like a lot, like a lot of live photos on social media, and like you know, I don't. What what I see, it's a hardcore band. I just kind of don't check it out. But if you, <laughs> I might check it out. I don't know. I'm, you know, it's it's. I'm really fucking under- narrow minded. <laughs> Which is totally understandable. I mean, there's a there's large chunks of of hardcore which in 2023 aren't aren't necessarily worth your time. But I think this new era of hardcore that's been coming out, where it's you know a, a lot more like lo-fi hardcore, but it's yeah hardcore for the freaks. I think that Gel says it really well and really concisely. And um, yeah, I've been into that band since since their demo and i'm really excited that they're getting a lot of attention oh also they're from new jersey so that's two new new jersey bands mm. for people to listen to shout out new jersey <clears throat> sweet man yeah we, we we talk new jersey a lot on this podcast uh awesome so thank you guys very much for hanging with me tonight and talking all these bands 
bringing those sweet recommendations to the table. Um, I have I have seen a lot of power behind the name Gel lately. Those guys are definitely getting some hype. Um, uh, more power to them. Um, and that being said, this is probably, hopefully, going to be the first chapter of our like Long Island hardcore digging up, turning up the stones, and seeing what's there. Um, uh, Discovery Channel uh, roundtable discussions. Thank you so much to you guys. Of course, check out the Path uh, from Vermont. Um, if they're coming to your area soon, look them up on social media and Bandcamp and all that sort of thing. Uh, support the bands. Heavyholepodcast at gmail.com and the voicemail should be in the description wherever you're reading this. If you want to add your own two cents into the conversation or you have another topic completely, something else you want us to talk about, uh, an album recommendation, something going on in the scene, whatever it is, man, drop us a line. Um, there's a Patreon. We got a, we got a one-size-fits-all, $5 a month. We throw... Um, sometimes we get into discussions that might hurt someone's feelings and we put it on Patreon instead. So we make money off it now. We're, we're really bad people over here. Not you guys, more like me mainly. Um, shout to the heavy hole podcast team, Tom and Justin working feverishly behind the scenes, um, every single week. Thank you to them. All of my co-hosts, uh, who are going to be getting back into the rotation. Now we got a lot of great guests coming up. Um, still going to be doing the interviews coming up, but these roundtable discussions are fun, man. I love this. Uh, but keep, keep it tuned. Cause we're, co- we're going to be covering all different types of music coming up, all different types of heavy music, I should say. And we got some guests that you're not going to expect, man. Check out for, um, exsanguinated going to be, we're going to be on the road, uh, this June for two weeks and in July and August reeking Orange going to be out on the road. Um, one 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 thing with uh, Replicant and False Gods in July, and then we're going to be going out with Pyrexia in uh, August. It's going to be crazy, man. Check Reeking Ore and Exsanguinated on social media. Uh, Dave, any parting words for this episode for our listeners? I got none, man. I think everyone... <laughs> I love Dave. If you, if you don't already, listen to Motley Crue. That's all I got. Oh, man. The first album. The first you got me. I do, I do have a little... Uh, bargain bin version of that on 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 vinyl, man. Um, Dave, I love Dave's dry sense. Last week, I, when we first tried to do this episode, I was sweating and and, ba- and Garage Band wasn't working, and I had you guys on the line. Dave's like, "Don't worry, Will. We're all just waiting for you." Or whatever you said, man. Um, John, parting parting words for our guests and listeners of your of your band. Yeah, no, I I uh, I'm glad we got to do this. I love talking about old Long Island hardcore to anybody that wants to talk about it. You know, it's it's not always a conversation that that people are really super into hearing about. So, <laughs> so thanks for the opportunity on that. And uh, yeah, no, if you're in California and you want to check out my band, come hang out. We'll we'll do that. And yeah, shout out to uh, to Reeking Aura. I'm psyched that you guys are getting out. Hell yeah, man! Um, shout out to everybody, man. We appreciate you, man. And um, guess that's it, man. Thank you for joining us on this uh, Long Island Hardcore Expedition. Uh, hopefully of many editions. This is the first one. <laughs>